I had I had whiskey Thursday in anticipation of whiskey. <laughs> Does that mean you're not having whiskey on Friday or just having it on Thursday? No, I, I have it. I have it. I'm not sure it's a good idea, but I do have it. What are you drinking? I just have a, a, the old standby of Four Roses single barrel. What do you have? Well, I have, I'm going to pour right now because I brought my little flask. To eat. Because, you know, I'm in rural Vermont, so I'm recording this in the church basement. Because <laughs> 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 they have the good internet. <laughs> brought a little cup, brought a little flask. Nice. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> this is High West uh, Double Rye. Have you ever had that one? Yeah, I've seen the bottle of that. I know what you're talking about. Well, cheers. Cheers. Okay, so today what we're talking about is business partnerships and getting business married. And this is going to be the first of a bunch of episodes we're going to do about this because, well, it's a really big topic. Yeah. I think today is like premarital counseling. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. First, I should say, you and I work with a lot of partnerships. I'm making this up, but I think probably 90% of my clients are in some kind of partnership, usually a duo, sometimes more than that. Yes. And I see a lot of those work just lovely. They're super functional. They're friends. They work really well together. They complement each other. And then sometimes not, or you know, things change over time. And, that, and that's partly just life right? People have babies, they get married, they lose interests, they get new interests, they want to do something different, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so even if there's no like big cataclysmic event or like years of pent up resentment or something like that or stuff that people aren't dealing with that blows it up, part of you and I wanting to have this conversation and talk about the prenup marital pre-counseling phase or just like, what do we, what do we wish people did? Because I think a lot of this through me is I catch people mostly when they're already up and running. Mm -hmm. And these are sort of my wish list of like, if I could get people to start from scratch, what would I want them to really think about and do? And sometimes that happens. And I actually have a set of, so you want to get business married questions that I'll give people. And it's like, you have to each go and fill this out solo. And then you have to come together and talk about where you're aligned and where you're not. And that can be like really revealing. You should. And then I think there are also a lot of people, a lot of solo people, like Heather said this in the interview I just did with her. Like she just always wanted a business partner. And you can't kind of like make those up. You know, real good partnerships kind of have to happen naturally. And so I think there's sometimes is this like greener on the other side thing. Mm-hmm. where people are solo or like, oh, I really wish I had a partner. It would make things so much easier. Mm-hmm. And then I know a lot of business partners that were like, oh my God, this would be so much easier if I was... Do you have conversations Depends on what you're going that? through. Yeah. It, I would really like to hear more about your pre-planning stuff. So let's circle back to that. I get it when people come to me and they want to have... An, an agreement put into place. And, yep. you know, I, we could talk about s- some of the detail stuff, but on the sort of prenup prevention question, um, I have a much more simplified exercise. But, you know, one of the things that I think is is helpful is 
is a, is a writing exercise where they where the partners write down what their roles and responsibilities are going to be. At least, yep. and again, this is usually at the at the beginning, and um, problems happen near the beginning, where you know you get into it and people realize it's just not not equitable, or somebody isn't pulling their weight, or whatever the reason is. So, so the job description is both a process, you know, thing like you're talking about, where it makes people sit down and say, what really are you doing here? What really am I doing here? And are we on the same page for that? And then if yep. we want, it can become part of the actual agreement. So you now have a set of like responsibilities. Depends how It depends how specific they are about whether it will really be helpful to actually say, hey, you breached the contract by not doing the things that are on your job description, but it could be a hook. Well, I know we we have done this together with the same client where I've done this like premarital counseling, deeper questions, and then sent them to you. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like let's do the the deep work, and then once you've thought about all of that yeah. and you've already talked it yes. all out, then go to John and actually do the like legal framework around it, the operating agreement, get it all down on paper, and I think that can work really well as like a flow i think it's great if it can happen makes your job it makes my job way easier and it (laughs) and it's going to make for a better partnership so i mean yeah so like i said i think i mean if if you want to like talk more about what that deep work is all about this would be my number one like wish for people that are doing this is that they have a lot of really uncomfortable conversations at the outset uncomfortable conversations definitely about money because that's always a big one And that's both like, let's imagine the money's going really well, like we have abundance. How do we want to handle that? And some of that philosophies around compensation, equity. I see most people, you probably see this too, where the default is just 50-50 and they've never thought about it. And I think usually it should be 50-50 to start, like both equity and compensation. Unless there's something that is intentionally skewed one way or another. But I don't think anybody, people think about why they're making that decision. And that will create issues later if things need to shift, which we'll talk about later. So there's all this money stuff. So when things are going well, but then also one of the things I always have people talk about is what their life circumstances look like and sort of their personal financial needs. Because this isn't always equal. So, like, you might have one person that has a partner with an income and they can kind of bear the, like, household load of financial needs and stuff like that, but the other partner maybe doesn't. And so that can create a lot of stress where one partner might not be able to lose a paycheck. What are your personal needs around income? What are your, like, no-go zones? The sort of watermark on the wall where if you went below this, it would start to really, like, mess your life up. And things like that. So, and this is like startup situations. So, assuming that you're maybe pre revenue or like kind of getting building towards that, I think you need to have an understanding of sort of stress points. And then also, what do you want abundance to look like? What are your goals? Because if one partner wants to make a million dollars and the other person doesn't care at all, it's really good to know that up front too. So, you can kind of like understand priorities and stuff like that. And then also, like, you know, say things are going really well, but we have a lean year. How would we want to allocate the loss or like absorb that? Agreed. 
And then I ask a lot of questions about conflict and communication strategies, because I think this is the one that people avoid because things are usually easier at the start because you're like building something that's exciting. You don't really have to deal with your weird conflict strategies and like baggage that you bring to the table. So kind of understanding how you each might deal with the conflict when it comes up and kind of what your tells are. Yes. That can be really helpful. It's not something you put in an operating agreement, obviously, but I do think it's really important for people to talk about. It's like any other relationship, right? That the the way that you handle conflict, the way that you handle, you know, disputes is gonna, you know, be the way that you do it in this context. Yep. Yeah. To me, that all seems super helpful. And I'm thinking if people come to me, like they should always have done that work before sitting down to do an an agreement isn't going to put all that stuff in place. The relationship is going to work or not work. Your agreement has a purpose, but it's not to make your relationship work. I mean, I can't believe that I didn't know that you did that kind of thing so specifically because if they haven't gone to you first, they should bounce there first and then come back and We'll work on an agreement. Well, you can, you can yeah. send them backwards. No, it's not backwards. <laughs> it's the beginning. And it's because that all really does need to happen. Do you ever see people that are trying to sort of figure out their relationship via the legal document? Because I, I know, like, you, can, you could conceivably put too much in that. <laughs> yes. Well, a couple things on that. I do see people who come in and by the legal document are trying to figure out are we making like what are our contributions to the business and what do we get for that and so because it the agreement obviously needs to state what the equity percentages are among the partners and 50 50 is common but it doesn't always make i mean it doesn't always make sense and so one of the questions is well what is it and you know then they do need to think about the kinds of things you're talking about. What am I really going to do be doing compared to what my partner is doing? You know, yep. aside from other things like is somebody putting in money and somebody not putting in money? You know, that kind of thing. I'd be curious about this because I, I can think of a couple circumstances where having very different salaries does make sense. But I think for the most part, that idea makes me more uncomfortable than I'm cool with. Like, I, I think mostly people should not be splitting hairs about what their actual job is and the, and like how the compensation works. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, do you, have you? There's a, there's a real continuum in my experience. There's been a very broad continuum for how people have handled that. I would say that because it's the easiest, um, the most common thing is that people don't actually address compensation in their operating agreement, they make it a governance question. So with however we make decisions in the business, that's how we're going to determine from year to year who gets paid what. Yeah. Right. Um, I think I would agree with that. You know, it it makes sense. If if the the partnership's going well, then it's fine. But I've had clients where they've gone the opposite end of the spectrum and had some very complicated and in my view, like ridiculous formulas for how they determined um, what their compensation was. Almost like what law firms do. And <laughs> Is that because people are obsessed with fairness? 
Like what are they, they were obsessed they with so fairness. Concerned about? They were they were obsessed okay. with fairness and they measure they but they measured fairness based on like how much effort each of them was putting into the company and effort was broken down into categories so certain time had higher value than other time and then all of that was computed literally every day like it was weaker i i mean i wrote oh it God. for them i tried to counsel <laughs> them not to do that because i thought it was ridiculous did but you that's see the my way... head just explode a little bit i know isn't that crazy but that's what they did and and you know what they had a successful partnership. I mean, the business ultimately didn't last after five or six years, but it was not because of that. But I did think that was crazy, crazy. But, you know, it happens. Yeah. Isn't that wild? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that is wild. It just sounds, I'm just like, God, how much work is that? But also. Right. That was the other thing I was thinking about. It's like, that means you guys are going to have to do like timesheets every day that like all this stuff. Who wants to do that? You know who loves timesheet? Uh, not like, me. Nobody. <laughs> no. Yeah, that sounds like an absolute nightmare. Right. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think... Hmm, I would say I'm less concerned about people's roles and responsibilities at the beginning and getting that nailed down. It's more like, how are you going to relate to each other and continue to evolve? Yeah. Because you're going to keep changing and and ideally, if you're really going to run this business for a while, you're going to have to evolve as a leader and how you're operating and you're going to have to learn new skills and all that stuff. So I kind of take it as a given that change is going to be a constant, mm -hmm. you know, and some of this might have to do with like, there's different kinds of partnership. I work with a lot of folks that are like co-practitioners. Mm -hmm. They're both experts and specialists in their field. And maybe have like quite overlapping skill sets in that regard. And so they come together to form a business that's out of their shared skill set. Graphic designers this are like a really great example of that, where they're both creatives and blah, blah, blah. But the tricky part with that model is that the partnerships are often very focused on the deliverable, like who they're serving. And then the infrastructure of the business and those roles are secondary. And so they don't think so much about like who's handling finance, who's handling HR, who's handling mm -hmm. sales, like that kind of stuff. So I think there's that kind of business partnership where you're really like co-practitioners. And then you just got to like cross your fingers and hope that someone decides they really like sales or, or likes managing people, you know, and it's kind of like trying to figure out who is the best of the thing. And I think with that, I see a lot of people do a lot of overlap at first. And then ideally, they start to separate out those roles because it doesn't really work well if you're all doing the same thing. Good, good. And then there's the other one that's like, I would say like the classic tech thing where there's like an engineer and then somebody who's good at sales or good at CEOing. And like have really different worldviews and purviews mm -hmm. and kind of capabilities. And that's actually why they're partners. Mm -hmm. And that's almost clearer in terms of roles and stuff like that. Yeah, I think you're right. It does change. You know, I think it's in the partnership that you're talking about where the people are the practitioners that sometimes it is helpful for people to say, okay, like I'm going to handle HR, you're going to handle finance, you know, that kind of thing. So that yep. at least there's a yep. statement of like who's going to get done or who's going to do what and it's all going to yep. get done. Well, and it helps you to figure out what you're going to have to hire for. That's true. Like, because if you're, if you're both battling and being like, 
God, no, I don't want to define <laughs> it. Like, I'm not managing right, the we bookkeeper. Need someone else you manage for that. the bookkeeper. Yeah. Or maybe one person sucks it up and does it, but they suck at it. That's not a good situation. It's either. not a good situation. Yeah. I mean, my my thinking on it is that, you know, I'm thinking about the operating agreement serving as, um, you know, like a path for if things aren't going well, can you refer to anything in the agreement to help you decide what the outcome is going to be? And a lot of times, I mean, I've seen tons of these that where it's just not addressed at all about a situation where one of the partners isn't, or at least to the perception of the other partner or partners, isn't doing what they're what they said they were going to do. Yeah. And then what do you do? You know, you don't have any. Then you don't have anything in your contract to to point to. Does that work best with more like general titles, or kind of like this is my domain? Domain. Or do you think? Because I could imagine getting really specific would actually probably be counterproductive. Yeah. You know what? I'm not sure it works great now that we're like going through it more. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. We're going to like live rejigger how you approach this. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I mean, you know, but it, but it is something I've thought about a lot and I have different formulations of it for different contracts that I work on. Sometimes it is you know, an exhibit that looks like a job description. More often, it's more general, you know, lawyer words about, you know, making a reasonably beneficial commitment to the company, that kind of thing. Or, I mean, assuming everybody's full-time, I should say you're full-time, you know, that kind of thing. So at least you have some objective pointers to saying, hey, you know, like you at least needed to be here and do your thing. Yeah. I'm interested, I guess, in thinking through, is there a way that folks can set them up, so set themselves up well to deal with that kind of scenario where one partner feels like the other isn't working hard enough, let's say? Or does the like, legal agreement about that end up being kind of irrelevant? Both. But the legal agreement, I mean, at that point, the relationship has issues and the legal agreement is not going to solve the issues. Right. The legal agreement might give you a roadmap on what you've said is going to happen if we have this issue, but it's not going to solve the issue. Right. So, you know, take a scenario where there are three partners and two of them think that one of the partners is not carrying their weight because that is very common. Right. Super common. I, I, yeah. Triads are so hard. <laughs> okay. Don't you think so? Like, well, I think it's like, yeah. it's probably twice as complicated yeah. as a partner, as, as a duo partnership. I mean, this example could happen in if it was just a, even a 50-50 partnership as well, right? One partner sure. thinks the other one isn't isn't carrying their weight, isn't it? So there's some inequity in terms of what they're doing, how much they're doing, you know, something in the relationship, right? Well, that has to get resolved. And what I'm saying about the contract is the contract can have language in there that can give the partner who thinks the other partner isn't carrying their weight something to point to to say, you're not carrying your weight. And there are consequences to that, right? And that could have, and so that can be helpful if they're actually engaged in a process to try to mutually resolve it and move forward because they could point to it and say, look, you said you were going to do these things and you're not doing these things. Or you said you're going to make a certain kind of commitment and 
look at your hours, yeah. you're not doing that. And then if that fails, though, it's sort of as a strategy, that language could be something that helps the partners who want to get rid of the other partner because they're not, you know, to say, we have reason, we have cause under our agreement to say, you know, we're allowed to terminate you as a partner. Yeah. It, it's not, it's usually gray. <laughs> and so you're looking at facts For and sure. language. And ultimately, like if there's litigation, that's what you would be arguing about. Did the, was there a clause under right. the agreement or not? And what's the definition and what were the facts, right? Right. Those circumstances are a little bit of an outlier though. The litigation circumstances are. Yeah. But that three, that three person partnership example is not an outlier that I've dealt with that many no. times actually. Yeah, I've seen that a lot too. Yeah. And it's, well, this is what I mean by triads are so difficult. On the balance, I see that circumstance way, way, way less in a duo. And I see it very, I've seen that so commonly in a triad. So triads are tough, as you say. Triads are tough. They're tough. Uh, well, they're, well, sure, because they're, they're double the number of relationships yeah. that you're managing. Yep. And, there's often been, let's call it like the enthusiast role, where two of the partners are like really serious about the business. And then there's a third person who's like more, I don't know, like cheerleader type, enthusiastic, or maybe they have connections. But I think often in the triads I'm thinking about, it's like two people are really putting their elbow grease into it and giving it, you know, just working their asses off. And the third person doesn't really have as clearly defined role. Because they came in for a different reason. Is this... Do you see that? Is that just me? Yeah. No, that happened. Yeah, I get, I'm thinking of a specific example that of that. And then if they're sharing compensation or and equity, yeah, um, get really equally, yes, you know, then the other two resent it, and at some point they need to change that. And again, that can either be a negotiated change, right? Hey, we need to redo the way we do this, or it could be, you know, we we need you not to be part of this triad anymore. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I'm saying. If they get to that point, right, the contract doesn't help resolve the issue. The contract says, what are the consequences of getting to that point? If you're going to get to the point where you're really, and th this is not, not just only from other relationships, there's a real communication breakdown, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Like you can't resolve your issues by yourself. That's generally means you need to bring somebody else in. Yeah. But yeah, you need you need to bring in marriage counseling, <laughs> right? And you know, I don't know if we want to get into this now, but it is sort of it's a structuring question for the contract about how much of this you want to actually include in your agreement or not. So, for example, you know, if let's say we're dealing with the fifty fifty, so it's really common situation. A lot of times, the agreement just won't say anything about this stuff, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because what it means is the only way to resolve a dispute is either to go to court or figure it out. And since with small companies like this, going to court is such, like it just doesn't make sense, it puts pressure on them to, to figure it out. So, you know, if, if I talk to people about that as a thing, I'm not, I have no problem leaving it silent so that that's the way to resolve these kinds of questions, right? On the other hand, you could have a more formal dispute resolution process that says if we're in a deadlock about a certain thing, here's what happens. And what happens could be a process that's triggered that's essentially like an auction that at the end of the day leaves one person as the purchaser who owns 100% of the company and the other person 
is leaving the company and it and the process can include a way to value it and all this stuff. So, you know, it's, you a, really it's a choice. Yeah. It's very defensive in a way, it's right? It. And just to bring us back to kind of our intention today is if you're you're going to try and frame sort of and set yourself up positively. And I'm not saying like, I really, I do believe people should think about bad case scenarios and they should think about conflict. And this is a wish. Like, I don't know if I've seen anybody really do this well yet, but I would love people to do, sit down and almost do like a mock wind down and like really like run through a scenario where one person needs to get out. And you can, it doesn't really matter why, but just like, all right, three years from now, somebody's going to exit. How do you want to do that? And not that they have to put that in the operating agreement, but I think it's good to run through those kinds of scenarios. You know, if you were in our partnership, one of us might, like you, John, might care more about, are we still friends on the other side? You know, mm-hmm. like, and then we might find out that I'm like actually an asshole that cares about money. <laughs> and I don't, you know, and again, I don't think you should put this in an operating agreement necessarily because I think we're talking about two different tracks, really, which is like the relational work you do on the front end so that you really understand what you're getting into with each other and start to learn how to have difficult conversations with each other when you still like each other and are very enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. And then there's how much of that do you want to encode in a legal agreement? How much do you want to foreshadow into the future or frame out versus leave open and trust on your relational skills, which I think is like, as we're talking about this, really the like question, right? Right. I mean, I'm really excited about the pre-planning stuff and I think there should be more of it. I do think it could translate into the contract though. You know, it's somewhat optimistic to say that, oh, you know, they'll be able to work it out at the time because usually at the time they're not in a good place to have these conversations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. People have goodwill at the beginning. And, you know, and I work with a lot of folks that are years in and still have that goodwill. Like it's not, I think as much as we're talking about sort of gaming out some worst case scenarios, partnerships can also there always have conflict. People are humans. But mm-hmm. like I think also there's so many that are really functional and do last and all those things. But from my perspective, I would say my like big priorities are assume that you will change and that things will change and assume that somebody's priorities will change at some point. And maybe this is how we kind of bridge your work and my work, which is that you want to game out the legal structure and sort of the support that's going to be in writing, like how you back all this up. But you also need just as much relational work or that legal agreement really doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you can like have that paper that says you're married, but that's not your relationship. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a theme of what we've been talking about is, you know, the the legal part is not going to solve, it's not going to solve your relationship issues. Working on your relationship is going to solve your relationship issues. Yeah. Do do we think that partners need to be friends? Um, no, I don't. I don't think partners need to be friends. I think they need. They have to have respect. They have to believe in the other person and respect the other person. But they don't have to be friends. They don't have to go out for drinks. Their families don't have to be friends with each other. Like that's not necessary. It can be, but it's not. A given. 
What do you think? No, I agree with that. I'm trying to like think through like our partnerships where people are friends more successful or not. Mm. And I'm not sure if I have a, I feel like I can go either way on that. Because I, I think there's some benefits to it, which is you do have kind of an affinity and connection outside of the work. I've worked with folks that are have been friends long before they become business partners. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen people go through some really rough friction and that I was like, ooh, I don't know if they're going to make it. And then what ended up pulling them through is that they're, they they decided they wanted to value the friendship. And so they that's what got them to stick with it and really work through the conflict. So I've seen that work really well. On the other hand, I also think sometimes that can come with entrenched weird patterns and communication adaptations you've already made, things that you avoid about each other or whatever. And you're not going to be as objective about the other person's skills and knowledge and what they're bringing to the table. And that's tricky. Yeah. I And I've seen friend relationships where there have been families involved. And let's say, and I'm thinking of one where the spouses didn't like each other. What do you do there? You know, <laughs> you know what? This one predated our relationship, actually. It's a long time ago. But okay. um but think about that, you know, so the two partners actually still had great communication and worked very well together. But now you have this other dynamic that influenced their business relationship. It's like, how do you have a Christmas party? What about married life partners that are, are life partners that are also business partners? Yeah, I saw that on your list. You know, I thought about that when I saw that as one of your questions. And I think my conclusion is that all the things that we've been talking about apply. And I don't think the fact that people are married or not married is really the, the thing. I agree. You know, there's some, you know, some legal things that could come up if, you know, they get divorced and how the business gets split up. But that's separate from do they make good partners? I've actually mostly seen that work quite well, I would say. Okay. And I think the one thing people have to really watch out for is when they have employees that there's some space between their relationship in the business. Because you don't want a situation where employees feel like they can't talk to one principal or another about issues they're having with the other person. So like if you're too united as a friend, I think that can be a problem, but only with you have a team. So I've seen that happen. And that's just Mm -hmm. about team dynamics and power and being kind of aware about what role you have, like how your relationship is at work versus how your relationship is not at work. Interesting. I mean, I can tell you from, for me, it sounds like a terrible idea. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm with you on that one. All right. So I have to go do this call. Well, good to see you, John. You too, Kate. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye.